Chapter sixty three of the Wild Huntress. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The Wild Huntress by Thomas Maine Reed. Chapter sixty three A Pitiless Pastime. Yes, to hold a shooting match was undoubtedly the design of my captors, and equally clear was it that my breast was to be their mark. This explained my position upon the summit of the mound, as well as my attitude upon the cross. I was bound to the latter in order that my person might be held erect, spread, and conspicuous. I could not comfort myself with any doubt as to their intention every movement i saw confirmed it and the question was finally set at rest by red hand possessing himself of one of the loaded muskets and making ready to fire stepping a pace or two in front of the line of his warriors he raised the piece to his shoulder and pointed it towards me it is vain to attempt describing the horror i endured at that moment utterly unable to move I gazed upon the glistening barrel with its dark tube that threatened to send forth the leaden messenger of death. I have stood before the pistol of the duelist. It is not a pleasant position to be in, under any conditions of quarrel. Still, it is perfect happiness compared with that I then held. In the former case, there are certain circumstances that favor the chances of safety. You know that you are in profile to your antagonist, thus lessening the danger of being hit. Judging by yourself, you feel assured that the aim taken will be quick and unsteady, and the shot a random one. You are conscious of possessing the capability of motion, that whether you may feel inclined to give way to it or not, you still have a certain discretion of avoiding the deadly missile that by superior skill or quickness you may anticipate your antagonist and hinder his bullet from being sent. There are other circumstances of a moral nature to sustain you in a trial of this kind. Pride, angry passion, the fear of social contempt, and stronger than all, perhaps most frequent of all, the jealousy of rival love. From none of all these could I derive support as I stood before the raised musket of the Arapaho. There was no advantage, either moral or physical, in my favor. I was brought front to the danger, without the slightest capacity of dodging it. Whilst there was nothing to excite the nerves of the marksman or render his aim unsteady. On the contrary, he was sighting me as coolly as if about to fire at a piece of painted plank. It may have been but a minute that the savage occupied himself in adjusting his aim, but to me it appeared ten. In such a situation I may have believed the seconds to be minutes. They seemed so. In reality, the time must have been considerable. The drops of sweat that had started from my brow were chasing each other over my cheeks and trickling down upon my breast. So prolonged was the suspense 
I began to fancy that the Arapaho was designedly dallying with his aim for the purpose of sporting with my fears. He may have had such motive for procrastination. I could have believed it. Distant though he was, I could mark his fiendish smile as he repeatedly dropped the piece from his shoulder and then returned it to the level. That he meant more than mere menace, however, was proved in the end. Having satisfied himself with several idle feints, I saw him make demonstration as if setting himself more determinately to the work. This time he was certainly in earnest. His cheek lay steadily along the stock. His arms appeared more rigid. His finger was pressing on the trigger. The moment had come. The flash from the pan, the red stream poured forth from the muzzle. The hiss of the bullet were all simultaneous. The report came afterwards, but before it had reached my ears, I knew that I was untouched. The lead had already whizzed past at a distance, as I could judge by the sound of several feet from my body. I heard a scratching behind me, and the instant after, a swarthy face was thrust before my eyes. It was that of the artist who had painted me for the part I was playing. I had been under the impression that he had gone down to the plain, but I now perceived my error. He had remained near me, concealing his body behind the rock. I saw that he was now enacting a different role, that of marker for the marksman. Running his eye over my body, and perceiving that I was nowhere hit, he telegraphed the intelligence to his comrades upon the plain, and then glided back to his covert. I was relieved from the terrible anxiety but only for a short moment. A mere interval of about a dozen seconds' duration. The red hand, after firing, had resigned his place, but this was instantly occupied by one of his sub-chiefs, who, armed with another musket, in turn stepped up to the line. Again I saw the gleaming barrel brought to the level, with its dark tube pointed upon my body, this marksman was more expeditious. But for all that, it was to me a time of racking torture. Again did the drops beat out upon my brow and chase one another down my cheeks. Again had I to undergo all the agony of death itself. And as before, without dying or even losing a drop of blood. As before, I beheld the puff of smoke the flash, the blaze of fire projected from the muzzle. But ere the crack reached me, I heard the thud of the bullet as it flattened against the granite on which I stood. This time the marker did not mount up to the platform. He had seen the splinters shivered from the rock, and without further inquiry, for the second time, telegraphed a miss. A third candidate appeared upon the stand, and my fears returned as acute as ever. This fellow caused me to suffer nearly a dozen deaths. Either was his gun without a flint, 
or his powder damp since after snapping nearly a dozen times the piece still refused to go off had it been designed to give me a new horror the thing could have been better planned for each time that the savage essayed to fire i had to undergo the agony of a fresh apprehension the scene ended by another gun being placed in his hands that did go off but with no advantage to the clumsy marksman for his bullet like that of the red hand whistled past far wide of the mark a fourth now took the ground this was a tall swarthy warrior one of the tallest of the tribe and without the insignia of a chief the cool and deliberate manner in which he went about his work caused me to anticipate in him a better shot and my apprehensions were heightened to a degree of painful intensity i felt my whole frame shiver as his gun blazed forth and for a time i believed myself hit the cheer of his companions upon the plain announced the belief in the success of the shot but he upon the summit soon undeceived them just as i became myself reassured the bullet had struck the woodwork of my crucifix one of the cross pieces to which my arms were attached it was the shock of the timber that had deceived me into the belief that i had been struck a fifth marksman followed and then another and another until more than a dozen had tried their hands the guns were now all emptied but this caused only a temporary cessation in the cruel sport they were soon reloaded and new candidates stepped forward to make trial of their skill i had by this time discovered that they were not practicing for mere sport it was a game and bets were laid upon it apart upon the plain the stakes were placed consisting of saddles robes weapons and the plunder of the emigrant wagon horses also were picketed near surplus animals that were betted against one another whether in many separate wagers or all forming a grand pool i could not determine my own scalp i was uncertain whether i still wore it was no doubt the chief object of the contest it was the cup to be given to him who should place his bullet in that white circle upon my breast and nearest the red spot in the centre the guns being once more reloaded the firing recommenced i saw that only one shot was allowed to each and this only to those who had entered a stake the condition gave me an opportunity of experiencing my apprehensions in different degrees since according to the apparent adroitness or clumsiness of the marksman my fears of being hit were greater or less strange to say before a dozen shots had been fired i no longer wish them to miss the dread ordeal so oft repeated was too terrible to be borne i was sustained by no hope of ultimate escape 
I knew that the fiends would continue firing till some one of them should finish me by a fatal shot, and I cared not how soon it would be sent. Nay, I even desired that it should come quickly. Death was preferable to the agony I was enduring. End of chapter 63 Recording by John Brandon